morning as you're being seated. Amen. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord to worship with you again today. As you can tell by now, Pastor David is not here, and I'm going to share a little bit more about kind of how we got to where we are today, but uh, in a moment. But I have a testimony that I want to share with you first, and it's something that's very exciting. And so here's what happened over the weekend, because most of you probably don't even know that we had two people get saved here on our campus this weekend before we even got to the service today. Isn't that amazing? So, so let me tell you how those two people got saved. Those two people were a part of our children's ministry up all night event. So we had two of our kids that came to a very fun activity of being up all night, now, I don't know about you, but my up all night days are done. Okay. Uh, can anybody else attest and say amen to my up all night days? Okay. Now, there might be an exception or two, maybe if I was going to fish. Uh, uh, but staying up with kids, um, I think those days are over with, right? But they, Pastor Don and her team, they stayed up all night with these kids and they had a great fun event. But the most important thing is that two lives were snatched from the grips of hell over the weekend. Amen. So God is so good and he's so faithful. He's doing work even when we don't know it. And he's already set the groundwork for today. And I'm excited about the word that God has given me. Uh, so Pastor David is out of pocket this weekend. And most of you probably know Pastor Tom, who was the founding father of CCM, was supposed to speak today. Well, he got a call uh, over the weekend and had an emergency back at his church in Tennessee, and he had to fly back out to go to Tennessee to take care of that emergency. Uh, and so um, I am your option C, a D, or E. And so, um, so I liken it to this, okay? So I don't know how many of you like football in here. Anybody? Anybody like football? Okay, I love college football. And here's my thing about college football. I just love the quarterbacks in football. And what happens is I can't tell you that I ever get the warm fuzzies when my college football team's third or fourth string quarterback goes in, right? 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 And so, uh, but here's the good news about today. Anytime you take God and his word and you put them together, the good news is going to come forth and God wins every time. Can someone say amen? Amen to that. Aren't you thankful for a faithful God? I, that song, man, I just, it brings me to tears almost every single time I sing that because I think about God's faithfulness in my life. Over and over and over again. Even when I've failed him, he has still been faithful to me. So I want to pose this question to you today. And I want you to think about it a moment. Have you ever had what you would define as an epic failure in your life? An epic, like I'm talking that greatest moment of defeat. Many of you heard mine and Shelly's testimony that we shared several months ago. And we shared what was our darkest day in our life. We shared the shame and regret and the failure of what happened and what we did. We were very vulnerable and very transparent 
with you as a church, hoping and praying that the testimony of what God did in and through us would liberate some or many of you. Today, my prayer is this. We're going to take a journey on a timeline with the disciple Simon Peter. I'm going to introduce you to the moment that he meets Jesus. We're going to skip a big portion of the moments of the time when he is with Jesus in the majority of Jesus's earthly ministry. But then we're going to go to the very end. And there's some very important things that I want us to uncover today as we share the scripture together. And I truly believe that God is going to set some people free today. He's going to liberate some people if you'll just give him the chance. So I'm going to ask you to go to the Lord with me in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, as we come before you in the name of Jesus, I thank you, God, that you are such an incredible and faithful God. Just as Pastor Matt says, your ways are so much higher than our ways. God, I'm overwhelmed almost every single time that I sing that song because I just think about the wife and the children and the grandchildren I have. Lord, you have blessed me so much. You are so faithful even when I have not been. So to God, today I ask that you would anoint me with a powerful anointing to share your word. God, I'm not looking to be the great communicator or the best articulator, but God, I want your word to come forth alive and sharp and powerful today. That it will do what only your word can do that you will open our eyes, that you will open our ears and that we would be overcome and overwhelmed by your presence. And at the end of this, it would bring us to a place of surrender and humility. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in this place already. I thank you for the two young souls that were saved this weekend. And we give you praise, honor, and glory for all of these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. So we're going to go ahead and jump into this thing this morning. Uh, the scripture passage is found in John 21, 1 through 14. The title of my message is The Sweet Smell of Redemption. The Sweet Smell of Redemption. So if you're questioning already, I didn't know redemption had a smell. If you will just hang with me for the next 30 minutes, I'll make my point and I promise you it's going to be good. And I really believe that God is going to speak to us. So if you've got your Bibles, Turn to your Bibles to John 21, 1 through 14, or you can check to the screen. And please follow with me as I read, starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Now, just for a point of reference, the Sea of Tiberias is also known as the Sea of Galilee. It's just one of multiple names that they've given the Sea of Galilee, just so that you know. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now I want you to look that person close to you and say, caught nothing. Now, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. 
He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring me some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So what I want to do is I want to now paint the picture of this first encounter that Peter has with Jesus. Peter is out doing what Peter does for a living. It's his vocation. It's his occupation. It's what he knows. He is out fishing, but we've just learned that Peter does not catch anything the second time, but Peter doesn't catch anything the first time either. If you remember, the disciples were out fishing. They fished all night. It says they even brought the nets in. They cleaned the nets. And what happens? Jesus comes on the scene and he tells them, he says, listen, guys, why don't you go ahead, take those nets up, get on in your boat and go out into the deep water. Now, Pastor David has preached this before. It's not the best way to catch fish in a net going to deep water, especially back in those days, right? But they did as he obeyed. They didn't even know the guy at the time, really. And they did as he obeyed. They go out and what happens? They catch so many fish in this first time that Peter ever meets Jesus. It says they caught so many fish that it tore the nets trying to bring all the fish in. There were so many fish. What does Peter do in this moment? Peter comes to the shore and it says that he falls on the ground. It's his first moment that we get to see Peter worshiping his Messiah. He falls on the ground and what does he say to him? He says, depart from me. He's talking to Jesus, depart from me for I am a sinful man. So Jesus' next step with Peter on this timeline is as Peter gets up, Jesus says to Peter, and I'm paraphrasing this, and this is found in Luke 5. If you want to look at this, it's found in Luke 5, verses 10. Jesus said, you have fished your whole life. You are no longer going to be a fisherman. Instead, you are going to be a fisher of men. It's the call that Jesus places on Peter's life that we see here in Luke 5, verse 10. Now, what I need to do today for the sake of time is I need to fast forward now. I'm going to have to leave out the, the majority of the chunk of, of ministry that Peter and Jesus did together. There's very important things in that timeline, but I don't. I, I, the purpose of this is I need to get to the this last part of the scripture I just read you. There's one very important thing that, that Jesus said in, in, in his relationship with Peter. And I don't know if you remember this, but Jesus said, I am going to build my church and I'm going to build it upon you. 
the rock. Peter, you are my rock. I am going to build my church upon you and not even hell can prevail against it. You remember that? You remember that part of the, of, of the timeline? So now as we fast forward and, and, we, and we move to the days, uh, just days before Jesus is crucified, we're going to look at the timeline and we're going to look at where the disciples are summoned by Jesus to meet him in an upper room. And they're going to have what we know as the Last Supper. And for us, when we, when we have that here, we don't call it the Last Supper, we call it communion. And so this is a very, let me paint the picture for you. This is a very spiritual and deep and intimate moment with Jesus and his disciples. I want you to think about it for a moment. Jesus has been telling them, he's been foretelling them, he's been cautioning or warning them that he is going to have to go to the cross. And so now he picks up the bread in this intimate moment and he breaks it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And he takes the cup of wine and he says, this is the cup of the New Testament. This is a sign of my blood to be shed for the remission of all sins. And so we have this very deep, intimate, special moment with Jesus and his disciples. And guess what the disciples are doing? After all this deep, intimate moment, the disciples are kind of gathered over in the corner and they're arguing about who is the greatest. Sounds like stuff that goes on in church sometimes, right? I mean, they're literally arguing about who is the greatest, who is first, who's going to be sitting at the right hand. Now, I don't know, but if I'm Jesus in that moment and I've just had this deep, spiritual, intimate moment with my closest of friends who have walked with me for the last three and a half years in ministry, and now they're going to argue over who's going to be the greatest and who's going to be first, I would probably be a little perturbed. But this is where we come next on the timeline. And Jesus has an encounter with Peter and he foretells Peter of his denial. That can actually be found in Luke 22, verses 50 through 56 through 60. Where Jesus tells Peter that you are going to deny me three times. Not once, not twice, but three times. And you're going to do this before the rooster crows. And so what's Peter's response? Peter's response, we find this in one of the other gospels. Peter's response is, no way. There's no way that I'm going to do that. Okay, so, so Peter, in fact, the, the, this gospel says it this way. Peter is so adamant about it. He says this. He throws his buddies under the bus. He says, they might do that but I would never do that. Now, I know none of y'all in here have ever done anything like that. So here, here's, my, here's how I kind of interpret that, okay? And, I, and I'm, I don't know how the language they used back then. I don't know what kind of language they were speaking, Greek and whatever, Aramaic and all that. But here's what, how I think it went down in my mind. Peter, when he's told, told by Jesus, you're gonna deny me, Peter is saying, listen, dude, listen. Like, you and I are rock stars. We can do this kingdom thing along. We don't even need these guys. In fact, I don't even know why you chose them. Yeah, I know one of them is my brother, but man, who cares? Listen, me and you can do this thing together. You Listen, 
You pray for them, slay them in the spirit, I'll catch them. You want to do your miracles, I'll come from behind and pick up the pieces. You want to do the fishes, I'll put them all the rest in the baskets. We don't need these guys. I mean, that in my mind is how this kind of played out with Peter, right? And Jesus. Like Peter was so adamant and he believed so much in his heart that he would never, ever do something like denying Jesus. So as we move forward in Luke 22, we get kind of a glimpse now because Jesus is going through some of the steps of going before the magistrates and the different people that were going to try him, that were going to find out whether he was guilty or not. And the Bible gives us exactly where Peter was at during this time. Peter was at a distance. It says, in fact, the scripture uses, he followed from afar. Peter, he wouldn't even get into the middle of Jesus's stuff and his controversy. Even at that moment, he had already made a decision that he didn't want to get involved in what Jesus was going through. Now, I don't know if any of you have had any close friends that have deserted you in your greatest moments of trial, but I can tell you right now, I'm sure Jesus probably felt abandoned. And we're going to read next on what Jesus had foretold is exactly what's going to come to pass. So what happens next is that Peter finds himself sitting around a fire and scripture tells us it's a charcoal fire. And I'm going to get to that more, a little bit more later, but he's sitting around this charcoal fire and there's just enough light the embers of the flames to emanate on his face that people began to recognize Peter and who, who Peter was. And the first one was a young lady and she called him out, you know, and she's like, I'm sure it's something like this. Hey, uh, hey, you, um, I'm pretty sure you're one of those guys. Me? One of what guys? Oh, one of the, his guys, like, you know, the everybody Jesus guy that says it's the Messiah. I'm pretty sure I saw you following him. Ah, uh, no, not me. Another one speaks up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're one of his disciples. And Peter says, nope, you got the wrong guy. That is not me. A third person speaks up. And again, and this time, and I'm paraphrasing, he says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know who this Jesus is. And as soon as the words finish coming out of his mouth, the rooster crows. He has denied him three times. The very thing that he was adamant in saying he would not do has now become his epic moment of failure. And scripture tells us, in verse 61 through 62 of Luke 22, that Peter runs away and he weeps bitterly. He weeps bitterly. I know if you've ever had a moment like that, that you have probably grieved yourself. You have probably regretted it. You've probably experienced the shame So we're going to fast forward to the where I actually laid the foundation this morning in John 21. And I want us to talk for just a few moments about what happens here in John 21 in Peter's timeline 
in his relationship with Jesus. Because Jesus has already shown himself to the disciples two times before we get to John 21. In fact, the scripture told us, I read it today, that this is the third time that disciples see Jesus. So Peter, he knows that Jesus is alive. Now think a moment if you're in Peter's shoes. You said you're not going to deny him. He goes, Jesus dies on the cross, dies a brutal death. He's buried. He's resurrected. And now if you're Peter, how do you think he feels? Like, man, is he, is he going to like come search me out? Is he going to do something to me? And, you know, I saw him raised from the dead. I mean, is he going to strike me with lightning? I mean, what's he going to do? So as Jesus appears to the disciples this third time, um, we find Peter doing something that I think many of us would probably do. Peter has reverted back to his old life, his old lifestyle, right? Now, let me give you some, my perspective or interpretation on this because I'm gonna share something with you about a personal area of my life in a moment as well. Here's why I believe that Peter went and did that. I believe that Peter went back to what he knew because he knew he was good at it at least some of the time. It's where he found his identity. But the second thing is, is I truly believe that Peter thought he was disqualified from being Jesus' disciples after he denied him like he did. That's why I think he went back to being a fisherman. So what does Jesus do in the midst of all of this? Jesus shows up on the scene again. I had an encounter with, with the Lord years ago. I was in lay ministry for years. And, um, and I didn't even get into full-time vocational ministry till I was 40 years old. I mean, good grief. Some guys are retiring by the time they're 40 these days. So I don't get into full-time vocational ministry until I was 40. Well, I was uh, a salesman, a heavy equipment salesman. And I made, at that time, made really good money. And when God called me out of that, uh, our family was really blessed. And when God called me out of that uh, into full-time vocational ministry, uh, one of the things that I did was I decided that it was probably best if I held on to that equipment business. If I just held on to a little bit of that, because what? I wanted to have a plan B. In case God's plan A called full-time vocational ministry didn't work out, I wanted to have a plan B. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a plan B, sometimes. I don't know if you remember, I preached a message a couple of years ago now about Elijah calling Elisha to be his prophet. And the thing that Elisha did so that he would no longer go back to be a farmer was that he took the yokes that were a part of his oxen. And those yokes were super expensive back in those days. And that scripture tells us that he broke those yokes up, that he built a fire with those yokes. He took his oxen, that he slew the oxen, and he cooked the oxen for food for his family. So why did he do that? So he could never go back to the farming thing if for some reason the prophet thing didn't work out. 
But when God calls you out of something into something else, he is wanting us to step out in 100% faith, trusting, and believing him. Well, I wish I could tell you that I came to my senses within a month or two, but it was actually a few years into the call before I really just, I just let go. I said, you know what, God, at this point in time, it's all yours. I'm all yours if you, don't, if you don't want me to have this, this equipment business, if you don't want me to have, then it's all yours. I will do whatever it is that you've called me to do. So here is Peter in this moment reverting back to what Peter knows and what Peter knows best because I believe he felt disqualified to be a disciple because of his denial to Jesus. So what happens this last time that Peter and Jesus meet again? Well, John 21, four through eight says that, G, that uh, Peter actually jumps out of the boat. Now, here's the crazy thing. When you go and look and read this and study this in all of scripture, this is the part that just, I, I, I just, we don't get anything about what Peter does other than jump out of the boat. Like, like early on when they, when they were out fishing and, and the nets filled when they first met Jesus, we get that Peter comes and he falls at his feet, Right? I mean, that's what scripture tells us. He falls at his feet and he worships him and says, depart from me, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinful man. We don't get anything this time. So we don't really know what Peter does. But we know that he jumps off the boat. We have to pretty much assume that he swims to shore. We don't know what takes place between just him and Jesus at that moment. But Jesus is on the shore and he's got this charcoal fire, fire going. So here their nets are full of fish. Jesus got this charcoal fire going. And so they all come back and they start eating breakfast together. Once again, in scripture, we don't get a lot of detail about any conversation that's being had during this time. Nothing, nothing until Jesus asked Peter if he loves him. So before I get to that, I wanna, I wanna ask you this. Can you imagine the awkwardness and the tension in the moment. Now, I don't know if the disciples knew that Peter had denied Jesus, but Peter and Jesus knew it, right? Now, we've got a pretty big family. So, so humor me for just a moment, all right? We've got a pretty big family. Now, we ain't as big as the Crockers and the Haunches, all right? So we ain't in that category, but we got a big family. We got seven kids and four of the boys are married now and we got eight grandchildren. So it's getting bigger and bigger. And we, so when we all get together around the table and we get together and we eat or we have a celebration or event or whatever, um, every once in a while, it doesn't happen very often, but l l let's see if this, if this is something you can relate to. But every once in a while, there is tension in the room about something that's not gone good with the family, right? Now, usually the elephant in the room is me. It's usually all me. It's all my fault, right? Because I'm the dad, all right? So Kelly, I'm sure that you can, you can relate. Um, and so we, we, we get these moments in our family. And here's the thing with my family is that I got a couple of children who have, um, I want to be polite here because they're probably going to watch in this thing. So they have, they, they have a tendency to speak their mind, right? And so they're the kind, and y'all know some of them. And so they're the kind that's going to step up to the plate. And if there's something awkward and there's tense moments, they're going to try to, listen, we all know that dad messed up. Let's just let dad admit to it and confess to it and let's move on, right? 
And that's kind of the way we, we roll and we operate. But here you've got Peter, Jesus, and the disciples. Here they are, they're gathered around, they're eating breakfast, and nothing is being said. Nothing. Awkwardness, total awkwardness, until Jesus asked Peter these questions. We're going to look at John 21, 15 through 17. He says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, I love this first question. The very first question he asked me, do you love me more than these? Remember, Peter said, hey, listen, man, <laughs> I won't do that. But these over here, them, these, these, mm, 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 they gon', mm, they'll always fail you. But I'll never fail you, right? So it's the very first question he asked me, do you love me more than these? And Peter's response is, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus asked him a second time, or he tells him, he says, feed my lambs. So he asked him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Then he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And scripture tells us right here that Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You know, it's kind of interesting here because I, a lot of years I struggled with this passage. I really did. I struggled with the, the fact that Jesus felt like he had to ask him three times, like he was almost beleaguering the point, right? And so, um, but I love the fact, I love the fact that what I really truly believe was happening here is I believe that Jesus was being the great physician that he is. Because I believe that Jesus was actually taking the scalpel and cutting in deeper and deeper to Peter and pulling out the last remaining pride imperfections. But Jesus doesn't leave us in those moments. He doesn't. As the great physician, he brings healing. And so he begins to bring healing. So, so let me back up for just a moment about the charcoal fire because this is the second charcoal fire, right? There's only two times, believe it or not, there's only two times in all, all of Scripture charcoal fire is mentioned. The first time when Peter denies him. The second time when Jesus reaffirms the call. Craziness. It's crazy. Like, there's fire mentioned so many times, and you would think there would be two, more than two times that charcoal fire is mentioned. So now, now some of you guys follow with me. Some of you ladies might, might be cool with this too. So I don't know about y'all when a charcoal fire, when you smell a charcoal fire burning, all right? So, but when I smell a charcoal fire, it could be three neighbors down, and they've got a fire, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that smells good. <laughs> Anybody else, amen? amen. Like, it's, I, I mean, I start having thoughts of, man, I bet a juicy steak would be good right now. Or I bet, I, I bet a nice hamburger. Well, for us, it's black bean burger or veggie burger. But, but anyway, you know what I mean, right? I mean, it's that aroma. You smell that aroma and like it triggers something in you, right? Is that right? So think about this for a moment with me. So what happens with Peter is in that his greatest moment of defeat his epic failure, he was around a fire smelling that smell of the charcoal 
and any time in his future, if he had smelt that fire again, that smell again, he would have always been reminded of his epic failure. So what does Jesus do? This is, I just love this because what I really believe that Jesus did when he was saying, feed my lambs, he was saying, tend to my sheep. He said a third time, feed my sheep. Jesus was reaffirming the call on Peter's life to be a shepherd. He was reaffirming the call because here's what he could have done. Honestly, think about this for a moment. Jesus could have done this and it probably would have been okay. It wouldn't have been the best and greatest finish or, or, or even the redemption that probably that Peter needed or wanted. But look, listen to this. He could have said, Jesus could have said this. All right, Peter, listen, man, you're a great fisherman. And I mean, I'm just going to encourage you and go out there and catch all the fish you can catch every single day, as many as you can catch. But as long the way you now know the gospel, you have seen me live my life. You have seen me lay my life down. You have, you know that I am alive, that I'm a resurrected. So you go be the greatest fisherman you can. But no, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus said, feed my sheep, tend to my sheep, feed my lambs to reaffirm the call that was placed on his life as a shepherd. His greatest moment of failure. Get this. His greatest moment of failure did not disqualify him from the call that Jesus placed on his life. Can someone say amen? amen? But here's the reality. There's people in this room today. I'm one of them. There's people in this room today that really truly believe that your greatest moment of failure has disqualified you from the call that God has placed on your life. Like there's no chance and there's no hope. Man, let me tell you something. And that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. I'm telling you right now. And here's, here's another reality. The majority of you have never, ever taken part in an abortion. Never. You wouldn't even think about it. And for years, I had people prophesying over my life telling me, you're called to be a pastor. You're called to be a pastor. I had people coming in my life. You can walk them right down. They can tell you, you're called to be a pastor. And I never would say this out loud, but in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, nope, I've been disqualified. I've been disqualified. I can't do that. I've disqualified myself. As Shelly shares in that video, but God. Oh, but when God comes on the scene. Oh, but when God comes on the scene. Come on, somebody. Mm. So now, when Peter smells that smell of charcoal, he's thinking in his mind, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not disqualified because of my epic failure. I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I have been redeemed 
in closing today, I want to read this conclusion to you. It says, the second charcoal fire was a place that Jesus brought redemption to Peter. He showed incredible grace on the heels of Peter's epic failure. Jesus restores him and confirms the call to be a fisher of men. Are we willing to meet Jesus at our greatest and deepest points of failure and pain? If we are, we can see Jesus do miracles in our lives just like he did in Peter's. One of the things Jesus never did in his last encounter with Peter, he never brought up the fact that Peter denied him. He never brought it up, not one time. Why? Because Jesus looks to redeem us and perpetuate grace in our lives. Torn Wells says it like this. Jesus doesn't point in condemnation to our past. He points with compassion to our future. So if you're here today and you're struggling with, man, I don't, I don't know the difference between condemnation or conviction. I really don't understand. So let me help you out a little bit. Condemnation says this. Oh, you're helpless, you're worthless, and you're hopeless. Because of what you did, you can never be what God has called you to be. But conviction says, oh, no, no, no. By the blood of the lamb, you have been rescued and you have been saved. Convictions lead you to a place of repentance. And if you find yourself, I love what Peter did here. When he denied Jesus, he wept bitterly. But when Jesus was asking him if he loved him that third time, it grieved him. Sometimes grief is a necessary part of the journey and the path. When God is calling us to leave our past behind and move forward in our future with him. Most of you know this, but Peter wrote a couple of the books in the New Testament. And I'm going to share with you just one verse that he penned in 2 Peter 3.9. And he says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but what? But that all should reach repentance. So Amy's going to lead us in a moment of worship. And as she does, this is what I want to do. I just want you to bow your heads and I want you to meditate. I want you to think about that moment in your life. If you've never dealt with it, if you've always just kind of placed it in the back of your mind and you've never really dealt with that greatest moment of failure, today's the day. Today's the day to, be, to leave that in the past and to move forward in the call that Jesus has placed in your life. Let's worship with Amy as she sings.
Heavenly Father, as we come before you in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will do what only you can do in this moment. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you would say to me, you know, Pastor Gray, I have had that moment that you're talking about, that epic moment of failure and I've just felt like all along that it has disqualified me from what God has called me to I just want to pray for you today if that is you would you please raise your hand that I can pray for you hands all over the room anyone else hands all over the room Father you've seen the hands of every person the courage that it took them to, to lift their hands up in confession that, that not only have they had, they had that great moment of failure and defeat, but Lord, that um, they have felt like it has disqualified them. In this moment in time, I come against condemnation in Jesus' name. I come against it. 
And I pray that the Holy Spirit would move in a powerful way, whether you're sitting in this sanctuary or you're sitting in your living room or wherever it might be. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in a powerful way and bring conviction. But God, I'm thankful that you don't just leave us there at that point of conviction, but you bring us to a place of repentance. You redeem us. You bring us back. You call forth to you. And so then, Lord, I pray that you would bring the healing that each person needs. I thank you for what you're doing in this place today. I thank you for what you're going to do as your people leave. I pray that you continue to bring healing along the way. May they step out in faith to the very things that you've called them to. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Give the Lord praise this morning.